Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Journey is sponsored by Go Wild, the social media platform for hunters, fishermen. Anything you're doing in the outdoors, you need to be doing it on Go Wild. Hey folks, Chris here with Houndsman XP, and I want to share with you why I am moving all of my hunting content over to Go Wild. Simply put, I feel free. I feel free to post what I want to post. I'm not worried about offending anybody and getting my posts reported. And ultimately, I am free to celebrate the life that I choose to live hunting with my hounds. Every time I post over there, I earn points, which equal rebates on gear that I need for hunting. Every time I invite a friend and they join us on Go Wild, I earn points for rebates on gear that I need. It's a no-brainer. You don't need other social media platforms to stay in touch with your granny. Invite her. She shoots better than you, and I guarantee you she can fix a mean skillet full of fried squirrel and gravy. Go to timetogowild.com, get an account set up, start earning points on rebates, invite your friends, and enjoy freedom at timetogowild.com. All right, everybody, we've got a big announcement for the Houndsman XP Podcast Network, and we are adding this show with. Heath Hyatt. Heath, man, I am glad. I'm going to just kind of turn this whole thing over to you, let you explain what we're doing. I'll add some stuff here and there, but I want to tell you, welcome aboard, and uh, thanks for agreeing to do this podcast. I think people are going to uh, really sharpen their skills and hone their skills as trainers and hunters and breeders, and I'm not going to steal your thunder. You take it away. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. You know, I've always been a big proponent of, you know, you, you spread knowledge, you teach what you learn and that makes you better and should make everybody around you better. So, you know, we're going to start this journey together and hopefully it brings everybody in the hound community or just in the dog world in general to a better place. Like you said, to be better houndsman, to be a better, uh, dog handler, dog trainer, to have better dogs, better quality dogs. And for overall, you know, our overall goal as houndsmen should be to produce the best product or quality hound that we can produce. So that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to go with this. How did you come up with the name, the journey of a houndsman? Well, life's a journey, you know, it's a process. It's always in a learning experience. And, you know, the older we get, <laughs> and the older I've gotten, I realize that everything takes time. You know, I'm not a wine connoisseur at all, but, you know, it's like a fine wine. It gets better with time and better with age. And, you know, I think that I have learned so much over the, the especially the past 12 to 14 years, you know, has really opened my eyes. And I feel like that it's a journey. It's a process. And process just didn't work. So I like, right. you know, we're on a journey. We're going to be on a journey together. And each week, we're going to take a journey to a different part of the, you know, we may be in Virginia, we may be in West Virginia, we may be in California. So it's this, this is going to travel. We're going to, we're going to take the resources that I have and the people that have mentored me and I've been, have influenced me throughout the last, like I said, 10 to 12 years. And I want to open that door to everybody. I want to be able to give everybody something to think about and to chew on a little bit. 
and that that can just make us better. Do you, uh, I've got a kind of a spinoff from that, but, um, I really like the title, the journey of a houndsman, because I feel like even though I've got a lot of time invested and there's a lot of road behind me, I hope I haven't arrived at the final stages of my hounds career of what I know and how I handle hounds. And, you know, I, I always look for every time I go somewhere and I hunt with somebody, I try to watch what they do and how they handle themselves and how they handle their hounds and take away those, you know, just small bits and gems and nuggets and evaluate it and see if I can, there's something there for me to implement into my training and handling and hunting. How do you feel? I mean, do you feel like you've arrived at, at where you need to be or is, is this continue continuing to be a journey for you as well as our listeners? I'm nowhere close to where in my mind I would like to be. And I think that if you close yourself off to learning and progressing and getting better, I think you are kind of short standing yourself as a, as a person, period. I don't care what it's in, if it's in houndsmen or if it's in horses or whatever it may be, I feel like that you should always be open to learning. And you and I had talked about it before, you know, in 2010, I started my canine career in 05. And the first couple of years, I was just trying to get through it. I mean, I was, I hadn't been in law enforcement that all that that long, and I was still trying to learn that job. And because of my experience with the hounds, I was able to, you know, kind of roll off of that and get and get end up in the canine world. So the first, you know, four or five years of my canine career, I was still trying to learn my job, much less, you know, trying to put a a dog in front of me. You know, a lot of stuff comes with that, you know, learning case, case law. And we all know how important the Fourth Amendment is. And it wasn't until about 2010, uh, 2012, when I had changed agencies and I come to a different canine. I trained with the state police from 05 to 2010. So five years I trained with the state police. And then when I come to a different agency, it kind of pulled me away from that Um that training group and I had to start in with another training group and a lot of our guys, our older guys were getting ready to retire or they were going to give up their dogs and go on a different career path. And it seemed like that I was just kind of put in that position. Uh, I didn't mm -hmm. ask for it. You know, I wasn't looking for it, but I think that everybody saw that I was very fortunate to understand dogs because of my hounds. I could yeah. understand the performance of a dog and ultimately that's why I'm, I'm here today. But so in that 2010 to 2012 era, can I, can I say something about that real quick? Absolutely. You know, I found, I found with the canine training after I became a canine handler, I started to understand my hounds better as well. Some of the things that they were doing, some of the behavior stuff. And, and as a, master trainer like you are you have been exposed to thousands of hours of of not only training but also training other people and experience and and we talked about this you know one of the things that we have been fortunate enough to see is like when my dog was on a track you know that dog is in a heart tracking harness and i am attached to that dog by a 20 foot check line so I can see how a dog reacts when they make a lose or they get in a scent cone or a scent pool or when all the different nuances that as houndsmen we try to figure out or we um, try to make conclusions to what's actually happening for you and I, the reason I think that we understand things like scent and how scent reacts with the environment. I mean, we've seen that dog running a, a track from 20 feet away that's just beelining it underneath the shade and everything. And as soon as they hit short grass in the sunlight, it's like, where did the track go? You know, or on the north side of the slope versus the south side of the slope. So that's one of the things that I'm excited about is hearing you draw both of those uh, worlds together and maybe drawing some, some word pictures and connecting some dots. It's so funny. You used that analogy right there. We had, um, training Monday and I've got a guy that, um, he, he wants to be a canine handler. So he's been coming to training. 
So I've got him laying tracks for us on Monday. He was laying tracks for us Monday. And I actually stood in the shade and explained that process that you just explained. I said, I said, how do you feel standing here? And he's like, you know, I feel good. I said, all right, let's take 20 steps. We stepped out into an open area in a pine, in a pine thicket. Sun was hitting him on the back. And I said, you feel the temperature change? He said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, MUV rays are actually smashing our odor. They're killing it. They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. doing away with it. But so it's funny you use that because yes, that, that brings a whole lot to what we do. Um, it helps us understand. And I, I believe what you said is the, my understanding of dog behavior since I have become a canine. And now that I, I am responsible for training dogs and overseeing a group of guys that I want to be successful. Uh, selection is our, is our top priority. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that through this journey. Um, yeah. We want to talk about genetics. You know, we want to talk about um, healthcare and medical issues. And we're going to talk about training and we're going to talk, talk about teaching and learning um, but I feel like that if we, as houndsmen, take it upon ourselves to be better, we will be better. Um, you know, we can't, we can't, we always have somebody, if, if, if everybody's being honest with herself, there's somebody that they have, um, that they have took them under their wing and give him guidance and they've taken them on their journey and that's how they've got there. Right. So I have been very fortunate. Again, we'll go back to that 2010 to 2012. Uh, my agency started, you know, putting a lot of time and money into me and training me, so they would have an asset at the department that most people don't have, which you know, i.e., being a, a trainer or a master trainer. And I was able to start going to seminars all out throughout the country. And you know, I was sitting in the first seminar in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was a hit seminar, which is a handler instructor training seminar. And I've I've made really good friends with those guys, you know, Jeff Barrett, Andy Wireman, Ted Doss is an attorney in Florida. Um, Jeff Myers out in Colorado, they, they own hits. And I've been to so many of them now that, you know, I, I, we, you know, we have a relationship and I can Mm -hmm. call, you know, I can call Jeff. Jeff is actually from Virginia. And he, you know, he just retired from Lakeland, Florida. He's from Tazel, which is about an hour and 45 minutes from here. And, you know, we bought, we formed a relationship pretty quick, but I had that first aha moment when, when I was at <laughs> that, that seminar in St. Louis. And, you know, I was sitting in a, in a, in a class and they were talking about, um, they were doing the, um, the operant conditioning and, training dogs. And, you know, like I said, this is kind of new to me because I haven't really been through that type of training. And I was sitting there with my notepad and I'm writing and I'm writing these notes. And like I said, I had that aha moment. I'm like, God, I'm such an idiot. Like, why have I not been doing this? Like, what, <laughs> why have I not been doing it? But nobody that, that I had associated with at that point in time was into that John, that, that type of training you know, which was the the motivational training and stuff. And, you know, I can roll that back to our police stuff. You know, we done a lot of compulsion and if people don't. Are you talking about an aha moment? I mean, did you see something that you had, uh, had been doing with your hounds and you hadn't connected those dots? Is that what you mean? Oh yeah. So, and I mean, this is simple. This is very simple. And if everybody's raised a litter of puppies, unless you're way smarter than I am and you probably are, I mean, you let the puppies out to run around the yard and then you put the puppies up and they, they start becoming classical conditioned. You know, they know that mm-hmm. when dad starts hollering or mom starts hollering for them, they're going back in that pen and that pen's not fun because I'm cooped up in that pen for 10 or 12 hours a day or could be longer. I don't, I don't know how you know everybody operates, but I was having to chase dogs around till I, till I got myself mad. Like they'd run up under the building because they didn't want to be caught because when they got caught, they got to go back in the pen. Well, for them, that's not a fun, that's not fun. So through this session that I was sitting in, we was talking, like I said, um, uh, Laz Cabrero from PSD K9 was teaching a class and he was teaching operant conditioning. And I'm like, why have I not used food as a motivator? Why? And y'all, y'all mm-hmm. heard me talk about food. It's a big 
big part of the foundation of my hounds because hounds are food hogs. They love to eat. And it's just a simple two-minute fix to a lot of the, um, I'm not going to say problems, but to a lot of the the things that we do that we don't like about the dog. So what I've done is I started from the very the very next time that I put a dog up, I rewarded him with food. Well, and it may have just been a couple of kibbles. It could have been, you know, I cut off a slice of cheese. I could have used a hot dog. I, you can use anything, anything that a dog will eat that they like. And the next litter of puppies I raised from the first day that I put them, I switched them off, you know, I started feeding them food. I would whistle and holler and boom, set the food down. And it took me a long time to realize that, man, this is so simple. This is so easy by getting a handful of food, hollering for the puppies. I scattered out in the pen and they go, their little noses go to working. So I'm actually doing two things here that people don't realize is you're getting the dog to use his nose. And it's actually, if it's the dog is younger, you're actually challenging him cognitively. So you're making, making, you're get you're keeping him busy. And it's something else people don't realize too. And this, this, I learned this later on, but I'm going to throw it at you. 15 minutes of nose work is like an hour of running to a dog. Hmm. 15 minutes of nose work. So anyway, you're doing a couple things there, but now I can holler and and it don't matter. I can put dogs in the pen and I don't have to chase them. I mean, I've got six now. We're going to talk about them in a little bit, a little bit here in a little bit. I've got six now and I can be standing on top of the hill behind my house and holler for those rascals and they are going to knock my feet out from under me getting to me. And it was just as simple yeah. as dropping. And I've food. seen that. Yeah. I mean, just dropping the food, just dropping the food. That's all I had to do. So that was that aha moment. And I had a lot of those through the some, some, sometimes, sometimes it's the most simple things. And I got to give credit to a lot of the houndsmen, the, a lot of the, you know, the guys out there that have never been through any formal training and they figured out a lot of these things. So yeah, there are people out there a lot smarter than I am for sure. I guess the way my brain works is when you start talking to me about cognitive conditioning then things start clicking in my brain. And I think it's just the way my brain's wired. I've got to have compartments to put things in. So, you know, you're going to talk about cognitive conditioning on one of your, uh, probably throughout your whole podcast uh, journey here. But when I can start putting tangible things and measurable things out there that I can look at and think, you know, and foundation, I got to break stuff down like that for me and my brain. It just helps me. Well, and as we go through this training uh, or this this training journey, you know, and you've heard, like I said, if you've listened to any of the podcasts I've done, you know, it's a process. You know, you go step A to step B to step C. And if you start skipping those letters, then you don't have a solid foundation. And if you have a solid foundation, and I don't care what kind of animal you're, you're working with. If you don't have a solid foundation, you're going to have prob- more problems. And as the dog matures and, and decides he wants to be a little bit stubborn, it makes it harder for him to operate at the level that you want him to operate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're going to talk about those steps. And I mean, I can, you know, give you a real quick example. You know, I've got a, a pointer right now that we're starting tracking on. We just, we just finished up his imprinting getting ready to certify him in, in NARC and we want to put tracking on him. And I was showing the handler Monday, all right, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. So we laid out the the training scenario and about the second or third little session, like he was getting on. And I was like, listen, the purpose of this training is to get from point A to point B. That's it. It's simple. We're not doing anything else. Right, And it, it kind of clicked with him. He's like, I get it. I get it. So everything is a process. Um, it's a journey. Like I said, that's why mm-hmm. we, we come up with this name. And my journey will never be fulfilled because I feel like you can always learn. And you and I talked about this earlier. 
no matter what training I go to, no matter who I'm around, like you said, I like to watch and, and see if I can pick up tips and learning. I use stuff like a buffet. And, you know, we go into a buffet and we pick out the things we like, but there's a whole lot more options there. But, mm-hmm. you know, I may not eat the okra or the, you know, whatever whatever it is that you don't like. I'm going to be eating me some okra. Yeah, and no, I like it too. <laughs> but, you know, so we may not eat certain things off of that buffet. So it's just like learning. I need to put it in the back of my mind because that may give me a different option for a different dog down the road. And if you've raised dogs or had dogs, there is no two dogs alike. I don't care genetically how close you breed them, what they're out of. They're going to have some resemblances. They're going to have some traits, but they're not going to be the same. And if you take your learning and use it like a buffet, like, okay, I can take for this dog, I can take these three items and I can, I can do this with him. But now this dog over here is a little bit different. He's wired a little different. So I may have to reach to the back of that buffet to pull something out to be able to. Might have to break out the green bean casserole for that dude. Yeah. So, and and I mean, that's, that's the analogy. When I'm teaching my canine schools, I tell every class that, that, you know, take what you learned. You may not like it. You may not understand it. And I'll, I'll give you a prime example of that. When I first started watching the Europeans, I scratch my head and I'm like, why are they doing this? This makes no sense to me. And then as I continued on my career path in in the canine, man, they have perfected what they do and they are really good at it. And they're, Mm -hmm. they're actually probably more strategic and disciplined than the Americans are. Now, I'm not going to say all Americans, but I'm saying they, they've got it going on and it, they've got it, yeah. they've got it down. And it took me, I mean, it took me three times of, of sitting in a class with these guys, scratching my head saying, I'm never going to use this stuff. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. Monday, when I started that dog tracking, I used that stuff. Yeah. But I've got five other ways I can do it. But for this dog... And because he's a, a bird dog, he's a pointer, you know, and he, he's got a tendency because it's a natural instinct for them to come up with their head and chase odor. I want to start him in a different method because I want him to be a little bit more grounded instead of chasing odor. Because when they get to chasing odor, new handlers, it's hard for them to, to read the dog because their head's up all the time. Mm-hmm. I want them to see that visual with that profile, with the head down below the shoulders and you know, the tail work. And I want, I want the handler to be able to visualize that. So I'm using a different method so he can visualize that. If that makes sense. Yeah. You bet. You bet. I use green bean casserole for that very reason. It's not something that I'm going to choose as I'm going through the, uh, the buffet line at the, at the church social at the church dinner, but I'll eat it. If, you know, if there's nothing else there, then I'm going to eat it. If it's something that that's when everything, when there's no other option, I may not like it, but I'll eat it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if you if you allow yourself to be open-minded, and, you know, we've heard the saying, you know, the mind works best like a parachute when it's fully open. Mm-hmm. If you allow yourself to be open to new ideas and new training methods, you will be you will become better at what you do. And I don't care if it's hounds or horses or goats or basketball or football. There's always somebody that has – I'm not going to say a better way, but a different way that may make you better. You know, I I tell my guys in in that class too, this is a way. It's not the way. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you several ways. Now you you pick yours. One thing I found on myself is I know by this stage, I know what type of dog I like to hunt. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable with that. And I've also raised enough pups to see the types of things that I like to see in a pup that helps me be more confident that I'm going to be successful. The way they carry themselves, the way they act, you know, some of those moments of greatness I see, I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I've often asked myself, if I'm really a good trainer, if I'm really a good hunter and a really good houndsman, take that dog you don't like and make something out of it. See if you can do that. 
but I don't challenge myself because I get lazy. I, you know, and sometimes we don't have that option to be picky about stuff. Sometimes that pup's what we got. And I am guilty of throwing in the towel or sending it down the road too soon and thinking, well, I'll get one that's easier because something that's more in my comfort zone. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear what you got to say. Well, let's touch on that. It's not about easy. If you're picking a dog that's more genetically sound and has more natural instincts. So you don't, but don't you think, but don't you think we get used, we get, in a, we get in this mindset that, um, it's, it's what we're comfortable with. You know, if I take, if I take a litter of these blue ticks out here that I raise, I've raised enough of them now. This is a fourth litter on the ground. I've seen what I like. I know what I like. So I'm going to pick what I like when I may be overlooking this other dog over here that's got this quirk or something, but may make a great dog. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. And, you know, we can talk about the, the, the pups that I have out here um, because they're going to start this journey with us on this podcast. You know, we're going oh, cool. to bring them in and I'm going to tell you what I see and what I like. Um, before we do that, I just want to touch on a few things. Uh, you know, one of my friends was, um, in the past two days and we had several conversations. We went fishing yesterday morning and talking about the commitment, you know, the commitment to be a better houndsman and have better hounds is not a, it's not a short term process. It takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. And you've got to be willing to make that commitment. If you make a commitment, mm -hmm. you're going to be you're going to be better already by just telling yourself, "I'm committed." So when you go back to the dogs, you know, Chris, when I was, you know, when I first started back in the mid '90s, all of my dogs were basically given to me, or I traded a gun or a light or something for them. I didn't have no money, you know. I just yeah. out of high school, I didn't have no money. I was stuck with what I had, and I hunted those dogs until they died. Because that's what I had. And yeah. now, you know, I'm in a different spot in my life where I can be a little bit more pickier and choosier on, on what I keep and what I don't keep. And I have gotten rid of, and I think we all, if we're honest with ourselves, um, have all done this. There's a dog that has something we don't like, just like what you're saying. We've kept that dog and he's aggravated us and we sent him down the road. <laughs> And the next thing you know, I just did this. Yeah. I mean, I've done it numerous times. I mean, I, so many times I kicked myself in the hind end for not being more patient. And we sent, you know, sent that dog down the road and the next handler gets him and bam, you know, there you got, you know, you've got, you've got a good dog or a superstar or however it works out. And just because we didn't like that quirk or that dog, you know, got under our skin right off the get go. And if, if that happens, sometimes a change of scenery is good for that dog. You got it. It, it is. I, and that, I can't agree with that more. And I just, like I said, I just went through that. And you were around him um, it, during bear season this year. And he just had some some strange quirks that, that just immediately turned me off. And so I was like, this little dude's never going to get a chance here. And I didn't sell him. Uh, he went back to the, the guy that is bred through his through jazz the damn to this pup and uh he just happened to contact me at the key time and say hey you know where there's a male pup out of out of your dogs and and another select stud dog i was like just so happens i've got one here and he's he wasn't a bad dog he was just had some quirks that i didn't care for and uh i said if you want him you can have him and um Took him up there. He's sending me videos about that dog going out in tree and coons. And in the past, I would have been like, daggone it, I got rid of him too soon. But no, I've come to peace with it. And I'm like, he is exactly where he needs to be Yeah, with the right person right now. Yeah. And if we learn anything from, from, from this, it's that patience sometimes goes a long ways. I am more patient because of my canine training and understanding dog behavior than I was even five years ago, you know, 10 years ago, I had no patience. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've come a long way internally with myself, um, on realizing that. And 
I know that if I don't like something, I'm going to make a decision for myself. Either I'm going to work through this or I'm going to send the, send the dog to another home. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something that I've come to realize with myself and the dog that I may get rid of at a year old, you know, you may be the person that says, no, I'm going to give that dog till two years old. And then we go back to the whole European thing. You know, we've talked about this. They don't even put a dog in yeah. service until they're three. And I'm, you know, I'm making a decision at one or whatever, right. you know, I've, I, I, sometimes I'll wait till, you know, 15 months or whatever. But it's like you said, if you see things out of that dog that you like, or you say, okay, I can build on that or that dog with a little bit more exposure, you know, that dog's going to come along and, you know, that's, that's something we're going to go over. That's something we're going to go over. So. Yeah. And we're not, we're not talking, I'm not talking about, and I know you're not, cause we've talked enough about it, but we're not talking about, you know, genetic deficiencies, things that should be called, you know, we're not sending dogs that, that we don't feel like can be good somewhere. Just not here. That's my attitude. This dog can make it somewhere, but he's not going to make it here. Yep. And so we're not pat. We're not talking about passing your garbage, you know, down to the next poor sucker that doesn't know what he's doing. And and one thing that I, like I said, you know, BB and I had this conversation yesterday is, you know, being honest. Like if I sell a dog, I, it's hard for me to sell a dog because everybody says if I'm getting rid of it, something's wrong with it. Well, not necessarily. Yeah. It just may not suit me, but I'm always upfront and as honest as I can be. Like this is, this is what I see. This is what I don't like. You know, make your decision. And you know, the last couple dogs I've gotten rid of, you know, I've I've neutered or spayed them because I don't want them in a breeding program, and I've given them away. You know, here I give them to a mm -hmm. good home. Somebody's going to take care of them, and you know, they may use them for something else, or they may use them for you know what I'm using them for. So yeah, yeah, that's just a part of the process. Um, like I said, if we can't, you know, nobody wants to have, you know, 50 dogs tied up at their house. I mean, I'd like, I know some people that do. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I have 50 because it's litter of pups, but so let's talk about the pups. Let's get this yeah. journey started. Let's do it. All right. So I've got a litter of pups that are out of my spook dog. Um, and you, everybody heard me talk or spook uh, come from Mike camp. Um, he's kind of, I guess you would say he's my lead dog, even though he's just three, just come three. And we bred to Forrest's fancy female, which she come from out in Idaho from uh, Shane Henley. And she's a topper. Is she topper bred? No, she, I've got her pay. I've got a picture of her papers, but she goes back to track man on the top side, uh, the bottom side on the bottom side. She's out of some, just some registered dogs. And I, I don't know. I'd have to look at the papers to tell you, yeah. but she's a bigger female. Um, she trails really good. She's a bigger bone female. So anyway, we bred Spook to her in hopes of kind of combining both of them's traits together. And so I've got six puppies and I, we named the puppies. All of the names start with a, and I've done, had several people ask me, well, why did you do that? Well, I'm kind of starting a new tradition here at the, the Creekside Kennel here. So the Europeans name their dogs two different ways. They name them by the letters of the alphabet, according to letters. Now, this is Spook's second litter. The first litter was raised by, by Hot Rod, and I didn't name any of those pups, but I want to keep up with the puppy. So I know I can breed A to C. That makes mm -hmm. sense. We want to skip B. And a lot of Europeans, that's how they, they're, you're not allowed to breed that, that first generation. It's got to be a grand, a grand generation. Or mm. they, they name them by the year. They use the letters of the alphabet court towards the year. So we decided that we're going to name all these pups with the letter A. So I've got two males. The kids named these pups, so don't laugh, but they enjoyed it. So we'll just go with it. <laughs> so the two males are named Ash and Axel. And the four females are Attica, which I have renamed Attitude. We'll talk about her. <laughs> I've got Ari, Allie, and August. And I had nothing to do with any of those names. So I told them the next litter I was naming. So talk about the two males first. They're very good looking. They're good looking pups. 
Um, most I've got two open spotted, which are Allie and Ari, and the rest of them are pretty much blanket back pups. Uh, they got they're a little bit heavy on the bone structure. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, they're 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 beefy. Yeah, I'm right. curious to yeah. see how they develop as they mature and if they grow into it. Ari is one of the open spotted females. Ari is the biggest pup of the litter. Um, she is a hog. I mean, she is big boned. She's got really good feet though. Um, I'm kind of surprised because Spook, he has good feet. They're not great. Fancy's the same way. She's got good feet, but not great. But of, of the six puppies, five of them are knuckled up pretty good. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if you know what, what I'm talking about, my knuckled up, they're, they're knuckled up pretty good. I feel like Ari's going to break down because she's so big and heavy boned, but we'll see. We'll see how that ends up. So while we're talking about Ari, Ari started off as the more dominant pup of the, of, okay. So the pups are 11 weeks old. They just turned 11, 11 weeks old. Ari was the more dominant pup of the, of the bunch. Um, six, five, six weeks old, but now she's kind of changed and she is definitely not. Um, of course we done the, um, we done the stress stuff on them from, from two weeks to whatever it is, 16 weeks. Same thing that Becky talks about on y'all's podcast. We did, we do that to our pups. So we're hoping that the stress levels and stuff go down. So Ari's changed a little bit. Um, she's not overly independent. She'll, she stays with the other dogs, but she will get off and do her own thing. Um, and then she's back, back with a, another dog or the group of dogs. Allie, Allie's the other open spotted female. So Allie, I feel like all these pups have taken back after their mother, um, uh, with their bone structure, um, the color phase, just the way they handle themselves. Now, Allie has got Spook's tail which is a curl. He, he curls up at the end of his tail, which I'm not a fan of. It's one of them things I don't like, but it curls up. Allie's got him. She's got a little bit, her chest is a little bit deeper with that tuck up into her stomach, which is like looking at spook. She has that um, confirmation like him. Um, she seems to, she's going to have one of the better mouse of the puppies right now. Like when she barks, she, you know, she's got the, the little bit louder mouth. Sounds sounds a little bit like spook. She's kind of the same. She she'll spook at a few. You know, the weed eater. Like uh, the other day, they was out in the yard. I started to weed her up, and I mean, you'd look like you ain't scattered. The two males come out. and was like, what is that? And then they they recovered really quickly. And when we yeah. talk about selection and pups and stuff, I don't care if stuff spooks them because stuff is going to spook them. Um. I want to watch that recovery, how long it takes him to come back and start investigating. I mm-hmm. like that stuff. I like to see that. And I'll give you a good example. You know, the, uh, the jets come through here quite a bit, um, going to Virginia beach. This is one of their, their paths that they take. And the first two or three times the jets come across and they come low. I mean, they're low when they come through them pups, man, they hit the back of the dog box. Yesterday we were out in the yard and the jet come over and they didn't even flinch. So a couple times of that, they were over it. So Allie, she's she's probably one of the 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 better I like her probably more right now than the other ones. Uh Axel. Axe is what we call him. So Axe is the barker of the bunch. He's very vocal. He He'll bark a lot. <laughs> if you walk outside, he'll he'll bark a couple times, and um, he's not spooky. He kind of does his own thing. Um, he ventures out. He's very um, investigative, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, his recovery time on some of the stuff that spooks him has has gotten a little bit longer. Yeah. He was the first pup that nothing faced him. And now you kind of see that transition a little bit, but he does recover, but I've noticed that it's taken him a little bit longer. And then you have Ash, which is the other male. 
and I have no idea how, how, how no idea how they come up with that name. So Ash is another big blanket back. Um, his head is not as blocky. It's not as blocky as um, Axel. Axel's a really good looking dog. Uh, really good looking. Um, Ash has got more of a narrow head, kind of reminds you of his mother. Uh, blanket back. He's probably the most well-rounded of the six pups right now. Um, mm-hmm. He recovers good. He don't. He don't get excited. He's laid back. He's in, he'll he'll wander off. He'll go over here in the the pasture beside the house and he'll wander around for 15, 20 minutes. He'll make a big loop. Um, he'll come back. He'll he'll interact. He interacts really good with the 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 pack. Um. So, I mean, he's kind of one that I'm watching too. Like he's, he's intrigued me and I'm, I'm keeping tabs of him. And then we have attitude, which is Attica. (laughs) Attica is the quickest starter. Like she picks up things really quick. She is a loner. So she's very independent. She will go over here in the, um, she'll go in the horse field She'll go in the horse field and spend hours. Well, hours. She was out for an hour and a half the other day. We watched her. Wow. Hour and a half, just nose on the ground, just doing whatever, doing whatever. Um, she's also the one that is starting to show me that attitude. When I'm feeding, and I still feed them mm-hmm. together, she's the one that's already starting to starting to growl a little bit. And I mean, I've done got on her, you know, we've talked, we talked about that. I've, I've already started getting on her and I've got pictures that I'll be glad to share with everybody. I, I set two bowls out. I've got five pups in one bowl and her over here by herself. Nobody wants to be with her. So mm. The independent thing can go, it can, for me, it can be good or bad. Uh, as far as the good parts, I want a dog that can work away from me. I want a dog that's going to take that track and work it and work it and work it and not have to worry about where I'm at or what I'm doing. But at the same time, is she going to be overly independent when the pack gets to doing something? Is she going to, is she going to come back to that pack? Is she going to be able to honor them if it's not her? So that's something we're going to watch with her as she develops. All right. So then we have August. August is the best looking pup of the bunch. She's built good. She's got really good feet or tight feet, blanket back. Um, she's got a, a, she don't have a dark, rich red head, but she's got a good red head with a little blaze right between her eyes. But she's the one that gets frustrated the quickest. If she cannot figure something out, she just sits down and starts barking. So I'm already mm-hmm. like, I see this with her. So when we go in to start doing some training and stuff, uh, she's going to be the one that pulls up slick because she's going to get frustrated. You know, I can see, like, I see this is what's going to progress with her. And, you know, this, we'll keep our tabs on it and we'll let people know. Um, so right. I see this with her. Um, she's usually with the other dogs. Like she's usually not by herself. So that little bit of that independence, she, she wants to be, be with the other dogs. So uh, I'm curious to kind of see how she matures and how she comes around as she she gets older so a couple things that i've done with with these let's see we, we talked about ash and axel attica ari ally and august okay so we got them all make sure so kind of all six yeah all six of them just and like i said we you know each month or each every other month or something i'm going to kind of give you an update and see if their their temperaments change or see if their attitudes change and see just how they're developing um, my goal with these pups is to get them up to about six months old and then they'll go to their respective homes. Um, I'm not sure who's getting what yet, but, um, it'll be, they'll be within our group. They're not being sold. Um, and if, if one's not going to make the cut, we've already got a place. We've got a place for one of them, which I'm assuming is probably going to be August. Now I could be wrong. We'll see how it plays out. But a couple of things that we've done with the dogs. So they're, they're, you know, Chris, you know where I live. I live out in the country and I, I'm able to turn my dogs loose and let them run. So when I get up in the morning, I feed them, whether it's before I go to work at 6.30 or, you know, like today I'm off. So 7.30, I got up, I fed them, I let them out. They're out all day long. They, they don't, mm-hmm. They're out, they're chewing my house up actually, but 
They're out all day long. They're in the yard. <laughs> they're playing. They're doing this. They're doing that. And at dark, you know, I go and I put them up after, you know, I, 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 I feed them around 530 every evening and then I'll put them up at dark. And so they're out, they're exploring, they climb. I mean, there was three of them up on top of the wood pile the other day. I never asked them to do that, but here they were sitting up on top of it. So yeah. they're exploring and they're learning. They're, they're able to do those things. And I know not everybody's able to do that because, you know, they don't, they don't live in the country and they don't, you know, they live close to a road or whatever. I get that. Um, but the more time you can spend with them, the better, especially um, letting them do their own exploring. And it, I'm not pressuring them. It, they're on their own. I mean, you'll look out here one minute and they'll be down here in the field with the cows sniffing around. And the next minute they're all laying back here on the, the, the deck to the building passed out. Mm-hmm. So they get to explore every day. They're out every day until they start running off. They will be there. And I know a lot of guys raise their dogs that way. Um, we've exposed them to water. They're not 12 weeks old yet. And I really won't start doing that until the 12 weeks. But we've exposed them to water. Um, like I said, heights are not an issue. Uh, I've put them up in the back of the truck a couple of times. In fact, Saturday, uh, Maddie and I took them back here to the pond, which is, I don't know, 300 yards behind my house. We loaded them up in the back of the truck. She sat there with them. We hauled them over there. Um, we dropped them out in a new environment. And two of them, um, Attica and Ash, got in the water and fooled around. The rest of them kind of tiptoed around it. A um, couple of them went up in the woods, and Maddie took a walk around in the woods, mm-hmm. and they was exploring. And, you know, they were climbing on logs and just doing puppy things. That's it. I mean, just just changing their environment so it's not, I call it a sterile environment. A sterile environment's where they know everything, which mm-hmm. is the house. You know, this is something that they, they're accustomed to, they're comfortable. You know, they've been out enough and smelt everything and been around enough that there's nothing really here that surprises them. They know their way around by now. Yes. Um, so yeah. I'm going to start changing those environments very, very short increments, um, slowly. And if I see a, one of them that's kind of, you know, withdrawing or something, I'll probably, I may leave them at home. You know, we'll see how they progress, but right now they've yeah. done fine, you know, at the pond. And, um, I do have a, a flirt pole and I can kind of give you guys a visual. So a flirt pole for us is it's like a little plastic stick with a, um, nylon cord on it and it has a piece of leather on the end of it. And we use it to work, uh, build drive in our puppies. And you can do this with a coon hide or a bear hide or whatever. If you have a piece of it laying around, same pro- same same process, same purpose. Um, Maddie likes to overdo it, and I try to explain to her we're doing this three to five minutes, <laughs> once or twice a week, and that's it. But she loves for him to chase it around the yard. She loves <clears throat> all six of them participate. Yeah, uh, I've got a couple: a- Attica, Ash. Axel takes, he takes spells. He gets distracted some, but then he'll come right back. Um, Ari, or not Ari, but an Allie. They are the, the, the four consistents that's, they'll stay with it until you put it up. And I'll, we always let them win. So, you know, I make a, you know, I'll, I'll tease them with it, tease them with it. And we drag it 20 yards, let them catch it, play with it, pet them up, make a big deal out of it. Um, and the same thing with your, your hide or whatever you're using. And, um, I've done that maybe four times with them. So 11 weeks old, I've done it four times. And I actually just start, I started the first time I done it. I just kind of, I wanted to see, you know, what kind of, you know, drive we were looking at. And I know they're so young that we, we don't know, but I like to get an idea where to start. Um, like I said, we don't overdo it. I mean, they're puppies. They're puppies. I, I don't need to be doing this 30 minutes, three times a week. It's just no. So anyway, there's, there's the puppies. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting to, to be able to take this journey and on, on this litter of pups you're raising there. It's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of insight. There's going to be a lot of stories. There's going to be a lot of things that people are going to sit back and say, Hey, I saw my pup do that. What did he say about that? I, I see people going back and listening to that portion. And I also 
know that you're going to um, expose people to different types of training techniques than maybe we learned that I learned from my uncle or, you know, some of the, the older houndsmen and, and maybe give us, it's like tools in the toolbox, you know, being able to, to hear what you're saying and then also rely on what we already know and then tie it all together and find out what works for us. Yeah. I mean, like I said, and that's, that's the whole purpose of this, you, you know, I kind of, I want to walk through this with everybody and, you know, maybe, I, I mean, hopefully I learned something. Maybe I'll see something in these pups that I haven't seen before that ends up being a, a good trade or a bad trade later on. And, you know, like I said, we're not, you know, we're, this is not the end all to be all, you know, I, well, one, go ahead. one thing that you'd said, um, you were talking about confirmation. I think it's important. You're, you're a UKC confirmation, a bench show judge. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. How long you been doing that? Oh Lord. Um, I don't know. You know, of course we was talking about that. You know, I, I, I done all my internship under, um, Lindell Price who mm -hmm. judged world hunts for, uh, UKC. And I, I mean, it's, it's probably been the late nineties. Um, right. you know, and I took a stint there that I, you know, I haven't, I wasn't involved and now I've, I've kind of gotten back into it and I've judged a few shows here and there. And I've actually, uh, now that AKC accepts the UKC judges, um, I've mm -hmm. went to Durham. I've been asked to do a, a, a few of their their shows too, which is man, it's been a great learning process because you know I, I want to know about other dogs and other breeds and what mm -hmm. what sets them up for success and how they're supposed to be put together. Right, right. Yeah, funny story. You know, it seems like. Every once in a while, you'll you'll see a dog, and people are like, "Man, that's a good looking dog." And I look at it, and I'm like, "Whoa, yeah, <laughs> that 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 thing's got some problems, confirmation wise." You know, I, I, so it'll be fun to also look at, you know, the the confirmation of a dog and tie that into serviceability and longevity of being able to do its job and and things like that. So that I thought that was really interesting that you've already started dissecting the confirmation of these pups and and making predictions of of what you're seeing right now could turn into later yeah that's valuable that yeah. is valuable well and and we didn't even talk about their gates i mean that's one of the first things that i you know when the dog's on the ground and you're showing him you know i like to look at i mean most of these pups are a little bit cow hocked if you know what i mean you know their their hocks on the back turn in a little bit and I'm wondering how that's going to affect him with speed. But I also had a dog one time that was cow hawked like crazy, and that, that booger could flat out move. But mm -hmm. again, we're going back. I mean, their mom is built the same way. The only one yeah. that's not is is Allie. And that's what I'm saying. I'm seeing a little bit of spook in her confirmation. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's I mean, like I said, we're, you know, We'll, we'll bring these dogs up to six or eight months old. And, you know, if I just, if we keep, if I keep one or two, then, you know, we'll progress with them. We'll see where they're at. We'll see what they're doing. And you're going to keep all those pups pretty local there with, within your hunting group there in Virginia. Yeah. I've had a couple people from out of state ask about them, but, you know, and, you know, we've talked about this, you know, it's so expensive to, to raise a pup and, you know, you buy pups from everywhere else and you have to have them shipped in and then you have a thousand dollars in it. And so, you know, as a, as a group, we're, we're just going to try to take care of ourselves and, and see, see what we can come up with. Well, I think, I think you, with your group there and hunting with you guys as much as I have now, it's going to be very valuable. I've always thought, you know, if I'm really going to be serious, I've either got to find people that are going to give me honest evaluations and I can actually see it. So that means they've got to be fairly close where I can see the pups or I've got to keep them all and hunt them all. And, and I've figured out real quick that I'm not going to do that. I, I find what I like and then something sits off to the side, but by spreading them out in the group like that, then you've got access to everyone. You can see everyone. You can say, Hey, this worked. Uh, I don't like that. And, and talk to, I mean, within the hunting group, they're all going to tell you, it's like, man, you know, Axel did this the other day. I don't think I like it, you know, and, and have a discussion about what you guys are actually doing. I think that's a, that's a great philosophy. 
Yeah, and I mean, and like you said, I'm gonna be able to see these pups. I'm gonna be able to see them, and you know, up as as they mature and as they make you know make dogs and what they. If they don't, mm-hmm. you know, if they don't, then they don't. If they do, then we'll build off what we're what we've got and and what we're doing there. So, yeah. What else you got? In, what else you got in store for us? I, I don't want you to expose expose it all, but you can't leave us hanging either. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're go, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna talk about training, and like I said, I you know, I'm I'm gonna try to bridge a gap between the canine world and you know the hound world, and and the stuff that we can take that I've learned has been that's been that's helped me make my hounds better. And, and, and again, you know, when I, we look at the canine world, I get to test a dog at a year old, year and a half old. And I pretty much, I've got a lot more to work with than, than raising a litter of puppies. You know, I know I can, I can go to a vendor and look at 50 dogs and say, yep, I don't want any of these. You know, we don't have Mm -hmm. that luxury with, with a hound. So, and we're asking our hounds to do a lot more. The dog's got to, have a good temperament. You know, he's got like, we just, he's got to have a good confirmation. He, he has to be able to, to, to trail scent and be able to jump the game that he's after and stay with it. So he's got to have endurance and then he's got to be able to have some sticking power to bay in there or tree. So we're mm-hmm. asking our hounds to do so much more than what I do in the, in the canine world. I'm, I'm basically broke down to, to two or three different disciplines, whether if narcotics, or narcotics and tracking. And then, you know, if you look at the patrol side, you're doing, you know, apprehension and tracking and you can do narcotics or we, we don't cross over the explosive dogs on the patrol dogs much. I know a lot, some people do, and we just don't, we just use a single purpose dog for that. Um, so I'm not asking the dog to do as much as we are in the hound world. So, you know, we want to talk about genetics. We want to talk about you know, raising, raising dogs and what to look for, how we can pick out a a better quality hound. And, you know, maybe we don't waste as much time or maybe we do spend more time because we seeing things that we want. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about police dogs too, and, and we talk about it a lot and it's not that it's not the deal where it's like, it's superior. You, you hit it. We're expecting a lot more out of our hounds than we do these police dogs. The other thing about police dogs is, the handler is in very, very close proximity. You know, we're putting a lot of trust in a hound when we turn it loose into the countryside to go to go hunt and to do things on its own. So it's going to be fun to see how we can take the really good uh, nuggets of and gems of information, those pearls of wisdom from the canine side. And I mean, we're not just going to talk to canine handlers. I think you're going to get us all out of our own little echo chambers. We're going to talk to talk to all kinds of professional dog trainers. We want to put some things. scientific facts with what we're doing. Science? Yes. We want, we <laughs> want to put some, some proven studies or, you know, talk to people that have like facts that we can build off of instead of assumptions. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I think it's going to be great. And, uh, like, like I said, I, one of the things that I constantly get feedback on is when you're on a podcast, those podcasts about training and about, you know, all of that stuff that goes into that conditioning. And I get tons of questions about it. I, and the email blows up and the messenger blows up and now I've got some place to send them. I'm sending them all to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> send them on over to our email. It's at Heath dot houndsman xp at gmail.com and i will do my yep. best to get back with you and if you have a good topic or a good subject you know maybe we'll get you on and we'll talk about it sounds good man sounds good well you want to wrap it up i do so we come up with a new Let's saying so chris find your way why'd you pick that put some context on that well because just like i said there's not you know there's not the way to do things there's a way and I can take a lot of different um, knowledge and skill sets and traits and all these things and put it into what I need it for. So I'm going to find my way. So you find your way. I think it's great too, because no two people have the same journey. No, no two people do. We all are responsible for 
our own journey and finding our own way. So perfect, man. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be rolling these out. I appreciate it, Heath. All right. I'll try to find my way. You should. Hunting plots, you're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I left all the Walker jokes out of the whole thing. I know. Well, you should have. We got Holsteins. (laughs) Whole truckload of them. You bet.